Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. James Hart about developing more meaningful workplace relationships using biofeedback and brainwave training. Dr. James Hart, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Greetings. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to be with you today. You're joining us from Arizona. I'm here south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be focusing on developing more meaningful workplace relationships. And we're going to be doing it from a biofeedback and brainwave kind of frame, framework and perspective, which is the expertise that Dr. Hart brings to the table today. As we get started, I wanted to share Dr. Hart's bio with everybody. Dr. James Hart is a celebrated research scientist with an established history of over 40 years in the study uh, and research of biofeedback. Hart has authored or co-authored countless scientific research papers on the subject, and he currently has more than 30 patents for core technology, headset training methodology, and brain-centered portion of various virtual reality applications. His findings have been published in numerous scholarly journals such as Science, uh, Psychophysiology, and the Journal of Experimental Psychology, just to name a few. Dr. Hart has also spoken in front of the United Nations. He received his bachelor's degree in physics from Carnegie Institute of Technology, as well as a master's degree and PhD in psychology from Carnegie Mellon University. What a tremendous background. It is a real pleasure to have you joining me today. And before we launch on into the conversation, is there anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context? Well, there was also a postdoc in psychophysiology at the Langley Porter Neuropsychiatric Institute, which is part of University of California, San Francisco. And uh, at one point, uh, while I was there, uh, after taking my degree, my PhD, um, I was an assistant research psychologist. Then I wrote one and directed a large federal grant. It was uh, entitled Anxiety and Aging, Intervention with EEG Alpha Feedback. And upon the issuance of that grant, I was promoted to an assistant professor of medical psychology within the August psychiatry department. And so I have lots of research to share with your listeners on the uh, relationship between brainwaves and uh, everything that goes on in business, including the personal relationships that enable businesses to thrive. And we begin with the understanding that brainwaves rule. They rule your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, uh, your experiences, even your perceptions. And so when you can change and master your brainwaves, you can change and master pretty much everything in your life. Thank you for that additional introduction. 
Uh, and let's start there. Let's start with uh, your background and perspective on biofeedback and brainwave research. Um, you just mentioned how that impacts everything about how we interact with other people and understand the world around us. Uh, but maybe unpack that a little bit for us and help us understand why uh, that is so important. Sure. Um, well, when you change, I learned in my research, because I was giving personality tests before and after the one week brainwave training programs that I was running, I learned that when the brainwaves change, personality, your identity changes in profound ways. So somebody comes in an anxiety neurotic uh, with uh, anxiety pretty much you know, off the charts, 98th, 99th percentile on the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, MMPI for short. And after a week of training uh, in my lab or now in my training centers, anxiety is in the middle of the normal zone, maybe even below average. And so Frederick Dodson in his book, Parallel Universes of Self teaches that identity and reality are synonymous. So I, I showed the first published a paper in mainstream science was a, a, a demonstration that high anxiety of people when increasing their alpha brain waves with my training methods, became low anxiety. And this was both types of anxiety, state and trait. Now, state anxiety is transient. You step off a curb and almost get hit by a bus and you jump back and your breathing is fast and shallow, your heart's pounding, but that fades. The more enduring type of anxiety is called trait anxiety. That's a characterological personality disposition. And many psychiatrists are under the impression that personality is stable over the adult lifespan. Now, they're willing to do counseling, to tinker at the margins a little bit, or to give drugs to alter your brainwaves and thus your experience of life. But the idea that you can profoundly and permanently and fundamentally change your personality is, shall we say, novel in much of the field of psychiatry and psychology. However, I demonstrated uh, to the uh, satisfaction of the editors at Science, one of the top two general science magazines in the world, that you change your brain as you change your personality. Then Frederick Dodson tells us that identity is synonymous with reality. So uh, this helps to explain why people who do the biosubernaut brainwave training have routinely such amazing, almost miraculous changes in their lives. Uh, brainwaves rule. When you change your brainwaves, you change fundamentally who you are and you change the reality in which you live. Now, uh, specifically uh, to business leadership, um, in the Harvard Business Review, Daniel Goldman uh, published an article about emotional uh, intelligence. And he found that they, what they did was they surveyed business leaders all over the world. And they found there were six basic different styles of management. And they ranged all the way from the authoritarian, which is, you will do this because I'm the boss and I say so, or total consensus building and refusal to act until everybody agrees and everything in between. And so 
and then they further found out that the most successful managers incorporated all of these styles uh, in various degrees and at different times and with different people. Some people would require one management style, uh, another person or another group of people might benefit from a different style. And so the managers required a high degree of emotional intelligence in order to be able to shift seamlessly from one of these management styles to another. So here we're now at the topic of emotional intelligence or EQ. Um, Travis Bradbury and Janine Greaves in their book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, um, describe how emotional intelligence uh, accounts for almost 60% of your success in life. IQ, uh, while important, only accounts for 10 to 20%. If you're really smart, but you can't get along with people, you can't hold a job or you can't keep retain employees, you can't uh, in, in, inspire and uh, uh, coax investors. And so emo now both of these go up with the biosavernaut alpha training. The average increase in IQ is 11.7 points. And we know this is stable at least a year out. Um, and the other, the emotional intelligence goes up 15.8 points. Uh, the uh, Travis Bradbury and Janine Greaves, uh, you know, have workshops and methods and, you know, they're, they would consider the possibility of a five point increase over 12 to 18 months of a lot of work. Well, we get an average of 15.8 points increase in just seven days, because again, when you change your brainwaves, you change your identity. And then according to Dodson, identity and reality are synonymous. So your reality changes. And yeah. So, yeah. Well, go ahead. So, so you raised some really important points uh, and I like how you've tied in the emotional intelligence and the EQ piece into what you're discussing. And you've brought up, for example, anxiety, um, you've brought up personality traits, uh, and all of this can then, of course, lead into how we interact with others within the workplace. Um, and you're you're absolutely right. Uh, so some of the quote unquote smartest people I know, um, the highest IQ people I know, are also some of the most socially inept people I know, um, who also you know struggle um, you know to to be as productive and accomplish as much as probably they're capable of uh, in terms of raw intelligence because they don't have that EQ component um, or you you map on top of that mental health issues and anxiety and depression, uh, other, other things like that. And it really can hinder uh, one's ability to work effectively with others on their team or for me as a leader to be effective with a diverse staff of people who have different needs and I have to be able to be adaptive and to be able to communicate effectively with people from all different backgrounds, different walks of life uh, and people you know, who need leaders to be led in different ways, right? They need um, feedback, they need um, coaching and mentoring and performance management in ways that look different uh, from uh, another colleague. And so all of this then goes into, I think the importance of why uh, the, the biofeedback and brainwave work can be important within organizations. And for me as a leader to not only think of my own development, my own um, success and ability to be, um, you know, an impactful leader, but also for my team as well. Uh, so, so 
describe a little bit more then about how you start to counteract. If you are in a workplace, I'm a leader and I see con, you know, consist, not just the one-off conflict that happens, but consistent conflict where you have tension and people rubbing each other the wrong way due to personality differences. You have high levels of anxiety, whatever. How do you then, um, as an intervention, utilize uh, biofeedback and brainwave work in order to help uh, create an environment where people can have more healthy workplace relationships? Well said, and some very good questions there. So let me begin by <clears throat> mentioning a dear friend, uh, Gunnar Hertig, who has been a CEO of dozens of different companies. Uh, entrepreneur at one point, he ran two $100 million venture capital funds for Weiss, Peck, and Greer. And uh, he's, he's done uh, the BioCybernaut training. And he said that uh, about 70% of his time as CEO was handling staff issues, personality issues, 70% uh, for a, a high-tech uh, CEO. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. And then we had uh, Alan Markin, a Canadian philanthropist. Uh, I have had, uh, my Canadian center currently is uh, sort of frozen in a move from Victoria, British Columbia, over to Bragg Creek, Alberta. COVID sort of like froze the move in process. But I ran for uh, many years, uh, about uh, 10 years in uh, Victoria. And Alan Markin, who is an incredible uh, businessman, with one partner, Murray Edwards, he grew his company, Canadian Natural Resources, from $0 to $2 billion dollars in just two years, a very accomplished businessman. He set aside $6 million in personal funds to send people from his company and over 200 Canadian Aboriginals through the BioCybernaut training in Victoria, British Columbia. And he said of his employees who went to the BioCybernaut training, the ROI on a BioCybernaut training is 100. His own foundation, which distributed nutritionals, to the often far-flung, isolated drilling rigs like up in the Canadian North where access was only by plane. Uh, he said their ROI was seven, 
but the ROI on a biosabina training is 100. Now, this is a, a very accomplished businessman. And so if he paid $20,000 for somebody to come for training, the employee he got back, he felt was worth $2 million more for the company. So that's an interesting uh, data point. Now, in fact, uh, we also surveyed, um, th there's a word I'm going to introduce. It's called protagent or protagious. It's the positive form of contagious or contagion. And it's the spreading of good values from people who have done the training to people around them, family members, friendship networks, and co-workers. And we documented uh, that people who did the biosabinate training would transmit, they would be protagious with a good virtues, good values to family members, friends, and coworkers. And these results were confirmed by psychologists, psychiatrists, anthropologists, ethnologists, ethologists, and economists. And so uh, two thirds of the, actually over 70% of the people who did the training six months later had uh, significantly improved economic circumstances. Uh, Bradbury in his book, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, says that for every one point increase in emotional intelligence, using global income numbers, there's a $1,300 annual increase. So if you take the 15.8 point increase in EQ that is produced by the Alpha One training on average, this nets a person more than $20,000 uh, and that more than covers the training costs. Uh, and then you have the next year and the next year and the next year and so on. And so the economic proposition for changing your brainwaves is very compelling. Uh, it's not just that you feel better and are happier, uh, but you're also more creative. The, create, the increase in creativity is 50% on average. And for many people, that's the bottom line, bread and butter increases in creativity. And so we demonstrated that with a group of Stanford Research Institute scientists and a group of Silicon Valley engineers uh, who served as a control group who were in the lab, had measurements of other parameters, but no brainwave training, there was no change. And so we have increases in IQ from the training. We have increases in EQ, emotional intelligence, and we have increases in creativity, massive increases in these extremely valuable uh, traits. And so plus, which fact, there's decreases of anxiety and depression and things like that. Now, if, in psychological research, going all the way back to the 1880s, it was shown that anxiety impairs performance, all kinds of performance, physical performance, uh, mental performance, uh, emotional performance. If you're anxious, you simply don't perform well. You know, people have described this as the age of anxiety. I remember writing a business plan in the uh, uh, 1980s and uh, I did research, I found that the five top anti-anxiety drugs uh, were grossing half a trillion dollars a year in America. And so that's a lot of anxiety. And so we have a, a non-drug alternative to that because when alpha goes up, anxiety goes down. And so this- Can you describe, this is all tremendous, great great uh, outcomes. Can you describe a little bit about how the brainwave training works? It, it is actually um, 
we do brainwave feedback in the context of a seven-day uh, intensive. And so to say that it's just brainwave feedback is untrue. Uh, for example, I uh, discovered along the way when I was still in the university that emotional traumas going back all the way to childhood were impairing people's performance on everything, uh, including the brainwave training. And so I did like a 20-year detour in my career to develop ways of measuring uh, and addressing the emotional trauma. So uh, two or three times a day while they are in the neurofeedback chamber and hooked up, wired, their brain nerves are being recorded, people interact with the uh, computer uh, to take mood scales where adjectives, uh, feeling words, friendly, clear thinking, sleepy, unhappy, dizzy, appear one at a time on the screen. And then they push a button to indicate how much they feel that either right now or the mood scales done after the feedback training, you describe how you felt in your highest alpha or if it's a theta training in your highest theta. And so uh, the computer scores the moods, uh, their standard mood scales are 21 different moods that are measured. And that's very helpful for the trainer. This is done with a skilled and certified biocybernaut trainer. Uh, to see how your brainwaves uh, change as your moods change. In fact, you begin to realize that, hmm, if I have this unhappy mood or anxious mood or angry mood, it's because I have a certain pattern of brainwaves. And when I change my brainwaves, the uh, moods change. But it goes beyond that because I wrote into the program some subtleties which allow it to detect the existence of unconscious emotions. So let's say the word is angry and the person puts zero, not at all. But the computer goes, um, uh, I don't think so. And it expresses its doubt in terms of sigmas. A one sigma is a 68% chance your answer is wrong. Two sigmas is a 95% chance your denial of anger is wrong. Three sigmas is a 99.7% chance your answer is wrong, and so on. And so then the trainer can say, hmm, in the interview, I noticed that you said that you were not angry, but the computer seems to think that there might be some unconscious anger there. Well, then maybe a tear comes out and lips tremble a little. And then the story comes out of this trauma where the child was abused or neglected or you know whatever it was. And then the perpetrator goes on the forgiveness list. We have a 14-step forgiveness method. It turns out that forgiveness is only effective only effective under conditions of rising alpha. And so the protocol allows you to interact with the scores and the colors of the scores that show up every two minutes, as well as the feedback tones, which are adjusted 50 times per second. So you have real-time feedback on your alpha and you also have summary scores every two minutes. And you only continue the forgiveness protocol as long as your alpha is rising. And if it's going up, then the scores that announce the scores at different parts of your head are either blue for it went up or green. Hey, you set a new high for the day. And so uh, at the end of the day, there's uh, the people gather small groups uh, up to three in the uh, premium double training where you go into the chamber twice each day and up to five people in the single where people only go into the chamber once each day. And so then you go to a room where we have canopied beds where you may sit or lie. 
and people take turns telling the trainer the detailed stories of what they tried and how it worked and they get coaching. So the day starts, you come into like a conference room and you sit down, you maybe review some of the uh, data from the day before uh, or on the first day you have orientation. You go visit one of the chambers briefly to see how it works, how the tones work, what the scores are like. Um, and then your electrodes, your head is measured, your gold disc electrodes are put on and um, then off to the chamber you go after an energy drink with MCT oil and vegan protein powder, maybe blueberries and bananas. And uh, then you have a series of baselines, eyes open, eyes closed, eyes closed with white noise and counting beeps. Then you practice alpha suppression and then you have a bathroom break and then you practice alpha enhancement. Then you do another mood scale uh, to describe how you felt in your highest alpha. When you first went into the chamber in the morning, you did, how do I feel right now? And if it's the premium double training where you're in the chamber twice each day, you have lunch. If not, you go to the canopy room and start your debriefing. And in the double, then you go back in, you have another session of alpha feedback, and then you do a final mood scale. How did you feel in that second session of alpha? And then you go to the conference, to the canopy room for your debriefing. After that, there's dinner. And then we gather back in the conference room to look at the actual raw brainwaves and graphs of your scores. So it's a very uh, thorough and complete journey. And uh, the effectiveness depends on three things. There are three pillars. One is the ergonomic and patented technology that I've designed. Two is the optimized training protocols. For example, you couldn't come one day a month for seven months or even one day a week for seven weeks and get anything like the phenomenal results we get with the mask practice, the intensive seven days, which can run over 12 hours a day. And so not all that time is in the chamber. Some of it is yeah. get your data uh, and being debriefed. And so it's a complete package. Uh, the third ingredient then is the transformational perspective of the trainer. Turns out that you need a guide for this work. Uh, one time, one of my engineers who had a complete set of my technology in his lab, because he was writing software, uh, without telling me, gave uh, his business partner 100 sessions with my technology. And pretty much nothing happened because he didn't have the protocols, he didn't have the mood scales, and he did not know anything about the necessity for the debriefing where you put it all together. If you don't have debriefing, well, yeah. when an astronaut comes back from a mission, they don't go have pizza in a movie. Immediately, they're surrounded by experts who uh, ask them questions and extract every detail about everything that happened. That way, it's transferred to working memory. And a biocybernaut is to inner space what an astronaut is to outer space. Yeah, the debriefing component, I think, is going to be really important, regardless of the intervention that you use. Um, so in your case, you just described uh, what that looks like with your institute. Um, lots of different programs have different types of interventions. Um, the debriefing all and debriefing and reflection always is really vital and important component. Right on. 
Well, James, it has been a real pleasure talking with you, learning more about your work. Uh, the time has flown by and we're out of time for today, but I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about your institute, find out more about uh, the work that you can do uh, for them. And you know, I think it's, it's in everyone's best interest to try to figure out how we can have more healthy workplace relationships so that we can be more effective in our leadership roles and help our teams be more effective, more creative, more innovative. Uh, ultimately, I think that's what everyone wants. As always, and I have a gift. I have a free oh, gift go ahead. for all your listeners. My book, The Art of Smart Thinking, is available as a PDF. If you go to the website, www.biocybernaut.com slash bonus, and you can download a free copy of The Art of Smart Thinking. It has nine chapters, and it'll give you some details about how you can do some of this at home. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to get connected, check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.